You're listening to Boy Podcast. Today's guest, Joe Accardi, brings us all sorts of Beloit history, and while much of what we'll talk about in this episode is music history, there's so many individual stories that we'll hear in this episode, so much a person could research even further. Hopefully this episode serves as an introduction to one of Beloit's many great features. Let's get a glimpse into some of our cultural and musical history. In this episode, Joe tells us about the pop house local garage bands from the 1960s and 70s, including Joe's band, The No Left Turns. Don't forget, if you have a story to share, maybe a story similar to our guest today, if you'd like to share that story, I want to hear it. And I think our listeners do too. This is the only podcast that features Beloit's people and places, past, present, and future. And if you have a story, maybe news, an event, information you'd like to share all you have to do is email me at thebeloitpod at gmail.com that's thebeloitpod at gmail.com or contact me through facebook also remember to find out more about starting your podcast that's right your podcast your very own Beloit Podcast. You could start a podcast on any topic with Vivi Media, Beloit's independent media source at vivimedia.org. That's V-I-V-I media.org. All right, let's get to one of my personal favorite topics, all-time favorite topics. That's Beloit music history with our guest, Joe Accardi. Start by giving listeners an introduction to who you are, also maybe some of your personal history in the Beloit area. I'm a native of Beloit. I was born there at the Beloit Hospital in 1950, and I grew up attending school. I went to Beloit Catholic High School and graduated from there in 1968. During that time, I had a garage band that was uh, popular in the in the immediate area. We didn't spend a lot of time on the road you know, going all over the Midwest. And uh, let's see, I when I graduated, the garage band it lasted for about another three months until I went to college. I went to the University of Notre Dame, graduated from there with a degree in psychology. When uh, I went on to graduate school, I chose library and information science. And my career spanned a number of different positions in libraries, ranging from media specialist to director of the Janesville Public Library for a few years. And I retired a few years ago from uh, Harper College in Illinois. I was dean of uh, learning resources there. You're also the admin for the Facebook page, Wisconsin Garage Band's 1960s. Is that correct? Yes, I am. I founded that a few years ago. It's been quite popular. One of the things I still enjoy doing is research. Uh, I'm pretty good at it, I think. I share the research I find on Wisconsin garage bands, some of whom I was familiar with as I was growing up in Beloit, some of whom are my are still my friends to this day. But it's, uh, it's an interesting and fun way to uh, spend some time and use some research skills and and see what other people around the state experienced during that time in the mid to late 60s when garage bands flourished. There were a number of bands in Beloit around the time my band existed. My band was the No Left Turns, and there's plenty that I've written about them on the web. If you just 
look up no left turns in Beloit, Wisconsin, I think some sites will come up. But anyway, the, some of the other bands that were popular around then were the Jaywalkers. A good friend of mine, who's still a good friend of mine, was in that band. In fact, I joined that band for a short period of time, and we formed an entirely new band uh, during the summer of 1968 that was quite good, actually. And uh, let's see, some of the other bands during that time were the Marauders. Uh, there are a couple of uh, people in that band who still play. Uh, my cousin was in a band. My, one of my cousins was in the band with me, Mike Neely. He has since passed away. And one of my other cousins was in a band called the Corduroy Cloud for a time. So there was quite a rich history of garage bands around the area. Between Beloit and Janesville, there were a number of bands. And there were plenty from the state line area that included Rockford and surrounding communities. So fun time. Describe the the style and sound of the garage band scene. Well, uh, a lot of us played the music of the day, the popular music of the day that was on Top 40 radio. You know, everybody was listening to uh, WLS from Chicago and WCFL from Chicago primarily. And, um, you know, some of that music, you know, of course, these garage bands, a lot of them were a lot of the ones from my era were were uh, the result of the Beatles coming on the scene. You know, prior to that, there were plenty of other bands around who uh, were probably influenced more by people like uh, Buddy Holly and the Crickets and and bands like that. But we played uh, we played some Beatles tunes, we played some Rolling Stones tunes, Monkeys tunes, Rascals. There there were quite a number of things. By the time we had formed a different band in the summer of 1968. We were playing uh, some of the more uh, psychedelic tunes from the, you know, from 67 and 68. We did some many cream tunes, Sunshine of Your Love and that kind of thing. And uh, some uh, a Vanilla Fudge song. And there were other bands who were doing that as well. We had a great time. What were some of your personal bands that inspired you? Well, a, a lot of them were playing at the Pop House at the time. Uh, there was a band that came up from Florida that uh, made their home in, in Janesville, Wisconsin for a while. They were booking under uh, an agent uh, named Ken Adamani. Uh, Ken is still around too. He's in Madison. He's still a, a promoter, an event promoter. We were fortunate enough to sign on with him as our booking agent. And he had a stable of great bands. One of the best bands that uh, was really an influence on us were uh, the Esquires from Belvedere, Illinois. They played frequently at the Pop House. They were just an amazingly tight band that would play. I, I think every week they took time to learn the top 10 songs of the day, of the week. And they were just a, a wonderful band to listen to. They even did uh, a cover of Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made for Walking. And they had a little stage routine that they did. They did this at the Pop House, where they had a couple of boots that were attached to some strings and somebody on the side of the stage would pull these boots along, you know, alternately crossing the stage toward the end of the song when the, uh, the lyric, are you ready, boots, start walking, you know, would show up. Anyway, it was a great, great time. There were a number of other bands, some of whom uh, I got to talk with either then, uh, both then, and later on uh, as I was writing 
the book about the Pop House. These are some bands from Chicago, uh, the Crying Shames and the Mods uh, and the New Colony Six. A couple of guys from these bands uh, are still around, and a couple of them are still performing in the in the Chicago area. They were a huge influence, too, and they were, again, great bands who had some recording contracts. Oh, the Buckinghams, I can't forget them. Bands like The Flock, just all sorts of bands. There were bands from Madison, too, that were great who played at the Pop House. So the Pop House was a big influence on me. Other bands like uh, the Romans, they used to be Tommy Rowe's backup band, but they went off on their own. And they uh, were very good. A band called the Legends from Milwaukee. And my goodness, a band called the Robs from Milwaukee, who uh, ended up going out to California and uh, appeared on Dick Clark's program, uh, Where the Action Is. And they were quite big, too, in the area. All of these bands were huge influences at the time. I don't think there's been anything like the Pop House in the Beloit community since. Kind of tell us more about the Pop House, because I know there's a lot of younger generations that I think would be really interested to hear about this. And you're the guy who can really give us a history. So kind of give us as much history about the pop house as you can you know the result of some of the research i did i i ended up putting in uh, a book that's published by arcadia publishing but it was a, a you know a lot of fun doing the research because i learned a great deal of, of history about it while i was doing this george stankowitz who uh, who was the founder of the pop house he was born and raised in beloit he started uh, his, his parents owned a little grocery store on uh, the corner of uh, near the corner of Portland and 4th Street in Beloit. George wanted to get together with some of his teenage friends in the, in the 40s, you know, in the early 40s when he was still in high school. He asked his father if he could use a room in the back of the grocery store as sort of a social gathering place for some of his high school friends. And, and his father agreed. And so George started this place back in 1943. Uh, he had it going for a while, but then he was called up for military service. So he did. He served in, he went and served his country in World War II and was a decorated veteran. But when he came back in 1946, he decided to start this up again. He, instead of just using a room in the back of the grocery store, he took over the grocery store. Eventually, it transformed from a grocery store with the room in the back to a full room that George would use as a gathering place for high school kids and for Beloit College kids. So in the late mid to late 40s, it was quite a hangout. At that time, you know, big band music was big. There weren't any live acts that played in the pop house during that period of time, but there were a lot of record jams that George would host, and he would have friends, and he started a membership club. You know, you you had to apply for membership, and so he could keep the, you know, the crowd within a reasonable size there. And he, they played records, and they danced on weekends. and The place just got to be very popular. He started a grill service, started serving food. He put up, it was in the mid to late 50s. He hired in the first rock and roll band. They had a makeshift stage right in the building. where There was a fireplace there and there were some tables and some booths and a jukebox and some other things. 
But this first rock and roll band came in, uh, Jerry Martin and the Sounds from Iowa. He had a regional hit, a local uh, from Iowa, the Fred Lowe label. He was the first rock and roll artist to, to play at the Pop House. And then over the course of time, George realized that bringing in these bands was a very popular thing. He needed more room, so they expanded into a patio area outside. They started bringing in guest acts that were traveling the, the country. Some of Dick Clark's stable of players that he would bring around the country to do concerts in larger cities on the weekends. Some of them would stop off through the help of the booking agents that, uh, like Ken Adamani and others that George dealt with at the time. They would bring bring in acts during the week like Johnny Tillotson, Bobby Vinton, Freddie Cannon, Conway Twitty, and uh, a whole bunch of other people that were very popular at the time. And I know uh, this continued. George eventually had to build an even bigger music hall in order to keep up with the capacity crowds that were coming during that time. So by the mid to late 60s, when I was going there, there was a nice size ballroom called it, with a good, nice stage at one end. There were bands uh, from the 60s then who were becoming popular. The Kingsmen played there. They're famous for Louie Louie, of course. I saw Del Shannon there. Regionally, some national acts and a lot of local bands. Can't afford to bring in all the big names all the time. So a lot of these garage bands from other cities who were good, who had a means to be booked in uh, in places like this, they were brought into play as well. Very talented band. Uh, it, it was just a, a great place. Now, it, there were also other activities in addition to music. The Pop House sponsored softball leagues and they sponsored basketball teams. They had a great basketball team through the 40s and 50s. They would travel the country, actually, and, and play other teams. They even played the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters is what I understand. The softball leagues continued every summer. And there were events like uh, the Chili Queen contest, the Chili Festival uh, with the uh, crowning of the Chili Queen every year. And those are these are all documented in in the book. One of the activities that continues even to this day is an annual event called the Turkey Bowl. And the Turkey Bowl is uh, a touch softball game that's played between, now it's played between a couple of Beloit taverns, some folks who represent those places. And they, they do this on Thanksgiving morning, which is why it's called the Turkey Bowl. And it starts out uh, with some activities at some of the local taverns or at one local tavern, and then they play the game, and then it, they have an activity or they have an after party at one of the other uh, taverns in town. The memory of the Pop House is kept alive through some events like that. Uh, but that, in a nutshell, is uh, the Pop House. There's probably a lot more that I could say about it that uh, probably forgotten by now or that other listeners could add. I wanted to ask about the time it closed down. I read that that was around early 70s, around, would it be 72, 73? Yeah, it did close in 73. The year before that, in 1972, the state of Wisconsin made alcohol, drinking alcohol legal at age 18. Now that posed a little bit of a problem because there are some high school students that turned 18, you know, prior to graduation. You know, the pop house was, by that time, had become primarily uh, a hangout for high school kids. Some of these kids, you know, who wanted to, you know, start going to bars didn't go to the pop house anymore because they could go, you know, they could go hear music and have a drink at a tavern in town. So I think George was reluctant to uh, convert 
the pop house to an alcohol establishment. From what I was able to uh, determine from folks and from some of the articles that I researched was uh, he did convert it to an alcohol serving establishment. But in order to uh, continue to serve some of the high school kids who under 18 who then would not have been able to come to the pop house, he did have some nights that were no alcohol nights. And he had to close off that section of the building, or he had to cover up the alcohol and not serve any alcohol. But still, it didn't work. It didn't quite work out. It got to be a little too complicated to try to have no alcohol nights and alcohol nights. And George was getting to the point where he kind of wanted to retire from the business anyway. Unfortunately, that situation only lasted for about a year, and the pop house closed in uh, 1973 then seems like there would be a demand for what the pop house used to bring to Beloit. Right, there is. And, you know, another another unfortunate thing is that, you know, the cost of bringing in bands really started to go up as bands became more popular. It really is a, uh, a logistical issue sometimes in order to bring bands in, have the proper equipment for them, because a lot of them don't travel with, you know, their own PA systems anymore like we used to. You know, they expect the venue to have a complete sound system there and somebody to run the sound and uh, lights. And it just got to be a big expense, you know, as the nature of that kind of entertainment changed over time. I'm not aware of what venues there are in Beloit now. I know Beloit used to have Riverfest in the 80s and 90s, uh, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, they brought in some big acts for that. I don't know why that, that ended. You know, there's always a possibility of, you know, starting up something like that or, or uh, colla- you know, some organization uh, collaborating with another. Uh, if there's an art festival or something, you bring in a band to play uh, somewhere on a stage that uh, has been set up. But again, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of preparation that, that needs to take place and a, and a few logistics, a few logistical things with sound and, and that kind of thing. I think uh, it's, it would be a great idea to be able to bring in music acts to the Beloit area. Wanted to ask you about your website, AcardiWeb.com, also some of your publications, where people can find you on the web, give listeners an idea of where they can find your publications, and tell us about your website. I do have a, a website that I created a number of years ago. The URL is AcardiWeb.com. That's A-C-C-A-R-D-I-W-E-B. AcardiWeb, all one word, dot com. There are some links there that are dedicated to my family, my family history. There's a couple links related to the Pop House and links to the Facebook groups that I operate, the Wisconsin Garage Bands. 1960s group and the uh, Wisconsin Concerts 60s and 70s group that I administer too. There are articles there about my band, the No Left Turn, about a place, another hangout in Janesville that lasted for about a year or so called The Meadow. Then there's a link to my blog, which I've been writing recently, a blog called Life Out of Tunes, and that URL is lifeoutoftunes.com, but there is a link from the Accardi webpage, and that Life Out of Tunes is all one word too. Uh, when you put it in a URL. But anyway, the, the blog is a just a collection of personal memoirs and other observations on the music that shaped my life. So I'm all about music. I've enjoyed music since I was a kid. I used to play little golden records, you know, on a 78 RPM record player. I've listened to music and played music my virtually my entire life. Uh, this is a collection of uh, 
of stories about that. Looking at your website, one of the stories, one of the links I followed was the story where you came across personal history in your family. I believe it was your grandfather who did some recordings that you had found out at some point. Yes. My grandfather, my grandfather passed away before I really got a chance to know him. But what I discovered later on is that my grandfather, Giuseppe Accardi, for whom I'm named, Joe Accardi, when he, when he immigrated to this country, he wanted to assimilate. So he was called Joe Accardi as well. But anyway, he was asked to be part of the Wisconsin Folk Music Recording Project of the University of Wisconsin because he had a great voice and he was called upon frequently to sing at uh, Italian weddings uh, in the area, uh, in Beloit and in Rockford and, and other places. People knew about him. He got a call from somebody to set up an appointment to record some some songs. And he recorded a handful of, uh, let's see, he recorded Oh, maybe six or seven Italian folk songs, uh, all a cappella, and they are now part of the Library of Congress American Folklore Center recording. I actually got a chance to go out to Washington D.C. to the Library of Congress and listen to the original. The, the original recording was done on a platter, but uh, they've transferred it to tape and they've transferred it to digital. Actually, you can hear these online. You can hear them off my website as well. It was a uh, quite a special feeling for me to uh, to hear my grandfather father's voice at the Library of Congress. There's so much history here, so much education and knowledge to share. I really appreciate you joining us. Well, Reese, it's been a great pleasure for me to, to talk with you. You too, Joe. And thanks again. Thanks so much for allowing me to speak with you. Più bella vuoi chi me ve presentati, e mo non saccio se vena curgite. Ma queste mori bricita, tazze caffè parite, sotto vedo zucchero e un coppa parasite. Hai tanto cacciavuta, io tanto cacciaggerà, io luce sotto tazza fino a mucca da fare va. Più tempo passa e più raffreddati, merce che vi riscarda o caffè squisito. Io bello e sapuro vigilati, si dà delizia tu caffè granita, facendo concorrenza l'immunata. Ma queste mori purricita, tazze che vi parite, sotto vedo zucchero e un coppa marasite. Hai tante cacciavuta, io tante cacciaggerà, e ho luce sotto tazza fino a mucca da parrivare. Voi siete mammarelle passatori, e ribellezzi miei per cantare. Se voi ver divertite a cagnacori, io faccio corti di senza denari. Bella pariglia fussi fa t'amore. Ma queste mori brigida, tazze caffè parite, e sotto vedo zucchero e un coppa marasite. Hai tanto cacciavuta, io tanto cacciaggerà, e ho luce sotto tazza fino a mucca da parre va. Enjoy the sounds of summer and catch the thrill of knocking wood blocks over with wooden stick and making new friends from all over the United States. Join us at the second annual U.S. Cube Open sponsored by DuPont at Riverside Park in Beloit on August 5th. 
Teams need to be registered by 8.30 a.m. and championship finals will start around 4 p.m. Coob is spelled K-U-B-B. Hello, this is Evan Fitzgerald, 2015 U.S. National Coob Champion, and I am inviting you to join us. Coob is a fun and exciting Scandinavian long game that is gaining popularity. It can best be described as combining the skills of horseshoes and bowling, and is sometimes referred to as Viking chess. Registration is $40, and teams are made of two players. All ages and abilities are welcome. Even if you have never played before, you will find that players are very welcoming to teaching new players, and by the end of the day, you will be playing like a Viking. Visit Beloit will be hosting their fourth annual Rock, Paper, Scissors tournament starting at 10.30 a.m. in the park that day. Bring out the kids and compete for fun and medals. This event is presented in support of the Visit Beloit JET Tourism Grant. You can register at kubeunited.com. Click on the U.S. Kube Open link to register and find more details. Look for the Rules of Kube page where you will find a video of how to play and a downloadable poster explaining the rules in even more detail. Also, you can join us on Tuesday evenings at the Rock Bar and Grill in Beloit from 6.30 to 8 p.m. where we will be playing and teaching people from the community. Mm-hmm.